Welcome to the City View Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good morning, City View Church. How we doing today? Make some noise if you're hyped for Sunday service. Hey, so my name is Jared, and I want to welcome you home to City View Church, the perfect place for imperfect people. Um, how many of y'all enjoyed the rain this week? Make some noise. Woo, we love that rain. You know what I love most about the rain in Phoenix? Um, is, it, is it really, it cleans our air, it waters our plants, and it completely cripples everybody's ability to drive. I mean, at one point this week, I was driving 20 and a 45 with no, no reason, and I yelled, you are treating this like it's a blizzard, you know, like just people just forget all driving, just any, any past experiences, just something about that rain, I don't know what it is. But anyway, my name is Jared, as I said, uh, and I am not the lead pastor of our community. That would be my man, Jeremiah Semler. Can we give it up for Jeremiah? So Jeremiah and his wife, they are taking the weekend off, so y'all are stuck with me. Too bad. <laughs> Charlie likes it. Yeah. So, uh, so a few things. I don't know. There, we always have new people, so things I always want to explain before I get going here. Um, I, I don't know your background, your story. I don't know kind of like you're, we're all from different places and spaces, and so if you kind of walked in this place and and you don't know what to do with God or Jesus or faith, I just want to let you know that this is a, the perfect place for you. It's a safe place to process who Jesus is. Amen, church? So uh, something, just, just letting you know, we got people here that they still attend weekly, and they don't really know what to do with Jesus either. So if that's you, literally welcome home. We're so excited you're here. Can we give it up for all the new people this morning? We love you. So there's, a comp, uh, there's this guy named Jensen who's an IT manager at this company called Maersk. Um, and what he's doing on this specific, I believe it's a Tuesday afternoon, he's about to run an update for about 80,000 computers in his region. And uh, let, let me like, give you some background on Maersk, because anyone ever heard of the company Maersk? Good. So Maersk is a company, for those of you who don't know, they have probably 574 offices and growing in 130 different countries. Uh, they operate about 800 seafaring vessels and they, they essentially transport tens of millions of pounds of cargo all over the world. Like they are next level. And they represent, their company alone handles one-fifth of the world's shipping. Like they are production giants, right? So Jensen's working for this company He's about to run his update. Meanwhile, the building adjacent to his is an IT help desk, and there's multiple team members there. And on this day, one of the team members' computers goes black. And he's like, what the heck? A couple others go black, and so they kind of surround. Coworkers are like, yeah, what, what's going on? Trying to figure it out. Meanwhile, Jensen's about to run this update when suddenly, as soon, right before he does it, his computer turns black. And he's like, he starts swearing under his breath. He's so frustrated with the central IT department of MERS because they just run these updates whenever they want. Like, like I, he just doesn't understand. Like, it, he's got stuff to do, right? He's got things that he needs to get done. And so he's, he's, get, he's mad about it, but he looks up after his computer turns black to survey the rest of the office, and he sees every computer go down and turn black one by one by one. 
Meanwhile, 30 minutes later, in the Merce Company across the world, people are running frantically through the offices. People are stressed out. They're screaming at people. Disconnect from the network. Turn your laptops off. Interrupting meetings. Important meetings are happening. Jumping in there. Ripping out cords because they don't want the hack to go any further, but it was too late. And so there's, they, they don't know what to do. They, again, they operate all these seafaring vessels. They, they work with seaports, and every, everyone's locked out. They can't do any more work. There are miles and miles of miles of semis waiting to get product in, and they have to turn them all around. And so it's, it's, a, it's a bad day in the Merce company. And so I don't know if they would have made it had it not been for one special thing. In the midst of all the chaos, what happens is uh, there, there was one domain controller in the entire company that wasn't yet infected. And it was in this remote office in Ghana. And so the only reason why this domain controller was not infected by the hack yet is because prior to the hack, they had a random blackout. And so this thing was not compromised, it had been unplugged, and it was the thing that, there's this epic story to get this hard drive from Ghana to central IT and restores the company back to its former self. Absolute amazing story. But as I'm reading it, I go, why on earth is a company of this magnitude who does so much production, how can they possibly have a hack that almost decimates the entire company? And at the very end of the story, the IT staffers that the journalists were interviewing, they, they, they're interviewing, and they all said the same thing. Maersk never valued updates. They were running old software that Microsoft doesn't even support that had no shot of, of handling the output that they have year over year over year or the hack that was to come. And so it's amazing to me that a company can be so amazing externally. Productivity, they are crushing it. One-fifth of the world shipping, yet don't have the internal fortitude to maintain it. It's amazing to me that, that they have all this production and an incredible feat on, on the output, but on the input, they lack so much more. It's cr incredible. I mean, they are crushing it on the outside while slowing down on the inside. And you might be thinking I'm talking about the company still, but I'm actually talking about your soul and mine. And I, and I start to think, as, as we found out with Mercer's hack, it cost them anywhere between 250 and $300 million and probably even more for the lack of updates. And I started thinking, how much do the lack of updates in our life cost us? How much of the lack of updates in our life cost our soul? You see, like Maersk, we add to our production every single day. We are taught by culture you need to maximize every second, minute, hour of your life, and we are just adding to our output every single day, overscheduling ourselves, giving our soul no margin to breathe, and we're dying on the inside. We're more prone to exhaustion, frustration, anger at our kids, and we'd have no fortitude to fight the temptations that come in this world. 
But suddenly you take this over, this idea of, of hurry and hustle, and you take it over to religion, and you see that there are plenty of belief systems where God is at the top of these stairs and keeps demanding that us, we would do more and try harder, and just maybe he'll be okay with me. Just maybe he'll accept me. But then everything changes. Someone comes on the scene and he flips everything upside down. He flips the whole narrative upside down. He actually says, no, I'm actually so great, so holy. I'm so above you and beyond you. There's no way you could come up to me. So what does he do? He comes down to us. And so this person comes on the scene of human history. Some say he's a man. Others say he's a prophet. And many of us believe he's God. And he says these epic words in Matthew 11. He says this. He doesn't say, come and do more work and maybe I'll be happy with you. He says, no, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. And then he says, learn from me. Watch how I steward this tension between community and solitude, the output versus the input, the external versus the internal. Watch how I manage these things in order for me to be who I am. He says, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly heart, and you will, you're going to, find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And what Jesus is saying in this scripture, he says, connecting with him is the update your soul really needs. You see, church, if you're tired of being a slave to your schedule, if you're tired of the low-grade anxiety you experience every single day, and you might have even walked in with that today, if, you're t if you want to live a life of intention and love and walk in the ways of Jesus, if you want to live a life of freedom on the inside, then you're going to need to learn how to rest in the Lord. And before I get going, let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that you don't demand more of us, but you ask us to come to you and you give us what we need. I thank you, God, that you are the burden bearer, that you're the cross carrier, that you, you help us walk this life and you're right by our side and you're carrying us forward. Lord, I pray that as we listen to this message, I pray you would uh, just show us where we need to pivot. Show us where, how we can walk in your ways that we could get the rest our soul longs for. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. So we are in our series titled Soul Cycle, and I am in charge of handling our last weekend, and it's up here. It should say, rest in him when you see the circle. And so we've been going through this psalm, Psalm 37. We come to verse 7, and it says this, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. You see, in Christian circles, we say that idleness is the devil's workshop, but there's something far more worse than idleness, and that is hurry. Hurry is far worse than idleness when it comes to our soul. You, you see, there's a man named John Ortberg. He's an amazing pastor. When he writes this, he is, he's working at the megachurches of megachurches in the U.S. He's a New York Times bestseller, PhDs, crushing it, speaking engagements. He has so much to do, and he's like, how can I maintain health in the midst of all this? So he meets with this amazing theologian. His name is Dallas Willard. He sits down with Dallas. He says, Dallas, this is my schedule. I'm doing this, 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 and this. I've got this speaking engagement. I got, I'm writing this book, this contract. He said, how do I stay spiritually healthy in the midst of all this? 
And Dallas, slow to speak, goes, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John goes, okay, that's great. Oh, great spiritual nugget. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. Oh, that's gold. Good job, Dallas. Hey, what else do you got for me? Dallas goes, there is nothing else. He said, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry, John. You see, if you're going to eliminate hurry, if you want to rest in the Lord, the thing that gets in the way is our hurry and our hustle culture. That is the thing that gets us in the way of resting in the Lord. And so what we need to do before we even figure out how to rest in the Lord, we gotta rethink how we even see resting in the Lord. So here's what I want you to know about today. Resting in the Lord isn't something you carve out it's something you protect. Here's why. Because when you rest in the Lord, it is a declaration of freedom. It's saying, listen, I'm not controlled by my, my schedule. It's controlled by out, do all this stuff that I do out here. I am defined by who Jesus says I am. But here's the problem. If you view resting in the Lord as something you carve out, you'll always believe resting in the Lord is something that you'll get to someday rather than something you should be living in today. You see, when you believe resting in the Lord is something you carve out, you'll always view resting in the Lord as an interruption to your life rather than an invitation. You see, all those are slave mentalities. You are then a slave to your schedule, a slave to these things. And when you rest in the Lord, it is a declaration of freedom of your identity in Christ, that you are not your schedule. Those things don't control you. Your work doesn't control you. Your production doesn't control you. It is, those things do not define me. It is Jesus who defines me. So Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord, it says, well, what is rest? Well, rest is simply being silent, being mute, or being still. It's this idea of getting into God's presence through, through some ways I'm going to show you and just listening and being with him. It's this idea of giving your burdens and just being with God, that he's good, that he's got everything under control. But here's how our relationship with God starts. It starts by we talk at God. Before we get to the other things, a lot of us, we're just still talking at God, which means he's still kind of an out there thing rather than relationship. Remember, this is not a religion, this is a relationship. And so what we do is we start with talking at God, but then we move a little bit closer and we start talking to God. And this is our entire series on prayer this summer where we said, hey, ask God. He's a good father. He is for you. He's going to give you good and amazing gifts. Ask away. But here is where most of us stop. We stop right here. And my challenge is, is I think we need to move into listening to the Lord. We need to move into then listening because prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. We're talking with God back and forth. And there's no point talking to a God who doesn't talk to you. But the thing is, he is speaking. So we're listening to him. And then next, we enter from listening, and then we can just be with God. Not very many of us even practice this, just being with God. It's this like, it's like sitting with your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and you're sitting on a beach looking at the amazing waves, and you're enjoying life. 
you're not necessarily saying anything. You're just kind of enjoying the goodness of life, of God, of each other. And I think that's what resting in the Lord is getting at, just being listening and just being with him. And so if we're going to get there, we, we really need to, to figure out how, how this all works. You see, it says resting in the Lord. Something I missed is that resting in the Lord reminds me of Psalm 46.10 when it says, Be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew word translated for uh, be still means let go of your grip. You see, you're so, we're so busy controlling, trying to control everything in our lives, and it's making us miserable. And so in order to rest in the Lord, we got to see how does Jesus do it? How does our master rest in the Lord? He says in, in, in that Matthew 11 chapter, he says, he says, learn from me. Watch how I do this and you will find rest for your souls. And so what we're going to look at is three things that Jesus does. Number one thing, he always pursues solitude. He, and I'm going to tease all these out. He pursues solitude. He pursues silence, and he also observes a Sabbath. Solitude and silence are something you can enter into daily, while a Sabbath is something you're invited to rest in weekly. So let's start with solitude, Matthew 14. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now understand this, Jesus had just been serving and preaching to the 5,000. They had just fed the 5,000. They're doing so much on the outside, so much output. As soon as that's done, Jesus goes, okay, now I gotta focus on my inside. I need to focus on my soul. So he moves from the chaos into the solitude so he can steward the life on the inside. You see, because Jesus knew something, he knew that resting in the Lord isn't something you carve out, it's something you protect. Next verse, Luke 5, it says, but even more, the report about him went abroad. He had just healed someone. Everyone's trying to get more of him. And he says, and it says, great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But look at verse 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, this is amazing. Think about this. He is healing people. He's doing good things. More people are coming after him saying, I need this from you. I need to take from you. How, how much does that sound like your schedule? Like some of the things in your life, we're trying to get more, but Jesus says, listen, I can't give you anything I don't have. I don't have the energy. I just gave so much. He's fully God, fully man, showing us how to live the life on earth. And he says, I know you're asking me to heal you, but I gotta, I gotta focus on my input. Because it's so easy for us to get defined by what we do on the outside, but Jesus says, yes, I'm healing people, yes, I'm speaking life over people, but I need to get away because I'm not defined by what I do, I'm defined by who God says I am. And God the Father, we know, looked at Jesus, said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. His identity wasn't, wasn't hinging on the fact of how productive he is, how many homeless people he served. No, it's in how and who Jesus and who God told him he was. You see, Emily P. Freeman says this, saying yes to rest means saying no to good things. Church, sometimes you have to say no to good things and to great things in order to get the best things. And I think in the Christian community, there is no, uh, there's no population worse than setting boundaries than Christians. 
because we don't want to be a jerk, right? We just want to love people, and we're like, people ask you, and you're exhausted, and you're like, sure. Like, we just say yes to everything, but you're being a slave to people-pleasing. You don't have to be Jesus' PR agent. He's, he's got it, okay? So Jesus himself says, no, I'm going to say no to good things because I do want to heal. I want to do these things, but I have to go focus on my inside. You see, resting in the Lord isn't something you carve out. It's something you protect because resting in the Lord was his declaration of freedom, that I'm not defined by what I do, but who God says I am. And last but not least, Mark 6, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Jesus, are you kidding me? Oh, man, it was amazing. We were serving the homeless. We were preaching sermons. People were getting saved. People were coming to the altar call. It was crazy. Demons coming out, flying everywhere. It was a male old man. we got to keep going. Let's keep doing it. Jesus goes, oh, uh, uh, wait, wait. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. He goes, you guys don't understand. Yes, those are good things, and, but listen, you've just had so much output. You've had a season of output. You need to start focusing on the input, the internal world, hanging out with your father who loves you, who cares for you. You see, I love this. It then says, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And is, there is no more sign that you are a slave to your schedule than when you fail to eat. And I did that this week, being honest. Like, I was so, like, I got to get things done. And when you're in that, in that zone, you're more exhausted. You're more irritable. You can't live, love, and look like Jesus. You're, you're just, it just, it's killing us on the inside. And Jesus says, no, no, come away. Dude, you haven't even eaten. Get over here and chill out. I'm here for you. You see, denying yourself physical rest doesn't show the world how great you are. It just reveals how prideful you are that you think you can go and go and go and God comes down to live the life we couldn't live and goes, listen, as a human, I don't even have that energy. Isn't that amazing? John Orberg says this, he said, hurry is not just a sign of a disordered schedule, it's a sign of a disordered heart. And so when you are not eating, when you are just slave to your schedule, that, something's off. And Jesus says, you need to come away and be with me. You see, when you move from the chaos to the solitude, that's when you can rest in God and you're allowing your God to father and mother you in all the ways you need most. The tender love of a father, of a mother, just, just loving you and taking care of you where you are. He says, come break away from the chaos. Come to me and I'm gonna give you rest. So we see that in Jesus' life in solitude, but he also pursues what comes with solitude is silence. You see, Jesus practiced solitude and silence after he performed miracles, in times of grief after John the Baptist died, before choosing 12 disciples, in his distress before going to the cross. Like, this was his rhythm. He knew he could not give anything that he didn't have himself. And so I love this. Jesus moves from this into solitude and to silence. And Isaiah 26.3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. And so Jesus is getting away from the chaos. He's sitting in the solitude and the silence, and he's fixing his eyes, his mind on God. That, that God's got these burdens I'm carrying, that God is in control. He has set me free. He, I am loved and approved by him. And so Jesus knew he got away because that's where the peace came in his inner self, in his soul. That's where the peace came. 
This is in Psalm 62, 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from you. But here's the problem, church. We prefer distraction rather than dealing with our souls. You know why? Because when you give your soul margin to breathe and time and space, your soul's going to tell you the truth. And the truth can be quite unsettling. For many of us, you might think in the solitude and silence, God's going to give you a revelation about a scripture. But what he actually might give you is a revelation about that resentment you're holding on to. Because that resentment is what's killing you on the inside. You, you see, he might not give you a new scripture, an outlook on something. But what he will do is the Holy Spirit will direct your mind and your thoughts into the things you need to attend to. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's finances. Like he's, God is in the freedom business. And anything that's shackling you on the inside, he is adamant about going to get that and setting you free. The whole narrative of scripture is moving from exile into freedom. And Jesus is so passionate, radically passionate about getting that done. And so that's what happens when you sit in the silence that your issues will bubble to the surface so that you can give them to God, so that he can heal that trauma, so that he can move you into freedom, but that's not the only thing that happens in silence. You see, silence is the space where you can finally hear God's voice with more clarity than ever. It's that place where you can finally hear his voice. I love in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, This God speaks to Elijah, and there's all these loud, chaotic, just big things. We think God's always going to speak in a booming voice, and he does. He does. I, I could tell you some stories in my life. But, but the reality is he mostly speaks in the still, small voice. It says he speaks to Elijah in a whisper. Or it says the sound of thin silence. You see, some of you are so stuck living in shame because you're too busy to hear God whisper, Some of you are so busy living and shackled by fear because you're too busy to hear Jesus whisper, I'm with you. Go. Your purpose is ahead of you. Like God has so many beautiful things, but we're sometimes too busy to hear it. I love this, this amazing story about Dr. Martin Luther King. It was January 26, 19. 1957, it's, it's close. He was, the, the bus boycotts were going on. Dr. King was getting death threats upon death threats. And then he just got jailed for going 30 miles per hour in a 25. He's going through a lot. He finds himself on, on his bed at night trying to sleep. He's just, he has anxiety and he just tells God, I, I can't do this. I'm tired of the death threats. Like I just can't sustain this anymore. And so he recounts this in a sermon that he moves from the bed to the kitchen table and he's sitting in silence and, it's, and he says this, and it seemed at that moment that I can hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. You see, the writer who recounts this story then says, what if Dr. King had an iPhone? What if he had Netflix? What if he had his schedule so packed 
that he couldn't hear the most important word to his soul to keep going and to create the future that we all long to see where racial reconciliation is is valued and we get to see the future of that. And I think the same thing with our lives. Some of us were too busy to hear the thing that God is gonna speak to you that's gonna change your world. Like it takes one whisper from him. Like I'm only standing up, sitting up here and standing up here and preaching because of the whisper. I thought God was just such a miserable giant in the sky. I hated him. I hated church. I just hated it until he spoke to me. It's just like, like I, that he's real, that he loves me. I mean, it's, it just totally changed my life. But I only got to that place when I slowed down. And you know what slowed me down? It wasn't even, it wasn't even me being uh, like proactive. I got an intestine disease. I had nothing left to do but to sit down. I mean, it was just, that's how it came to me. But I love when Jesus says this in Matthew 4, 4. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes, we live by bread. We need to eat. Yes, we need to drink. But he says, you also live by my word because his word to you is life giving to your soul. What is God speaking to you? So look, Jesus moves into solitude and silence daily so that he can maintain the internal health in order to deal with the things externally. But there's another thing you can enter into that Jesus did, and it was weekly, and it's called the Sabbath. Luke 4, 16 says, and he came to Nazareth, Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, let me tell you what Sabbath isn't. Sabbath is funny. People have all these preconceived notions. Sabbath is, oh, I can't use my room key at a hotel. I can't sign for a check. I can't use electronics. I can't turn on a light. All these these man-made rules and tradition that we have laid upon a beautiful thing that God created. And so it's not any of that. What Sabbath really is, it simply means not producing. God is inviting you into the rhythms of how he created the universe, the symphony of of the universe, and he created it in this certain way and invites you in to the music that he's creating. But many of our lives, we're just making noise. We're out of rhythm. Exodus 20 says this, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock. Now this is amazing to me. It says, or your livestock. Like, I just saw this story of this elephant named Kanakoda who was in Sri Lanka, and this elephant would do these tourist uh, rides, right? And the owners made Kanakoda work every single day's day for three years, And on his last trip about a few months ago, the elephant was walking, he stopped in the middle of the tour, sat down, and he died. They did the autopsy on Kanakota and they found out that he died of exhaustion. And it's amazing that God says, he looks at that and goes, I actually didn't desire, that's not my will. I actually never created the universe for even the elephant to work every single day and it killed him. And the reality is some of you are producing every single day, you're working every day and it's killing you. It's it's shortening your lifespan because you don't 
take the time to get into the rhythm of what God has done. So he says, he's done all this, but why? For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Do you know why we Sabbath, why we take a day off? Because we're imitating God. But he has another reason. There's another reason why God does this. He says in Deuteronomy five, he says, you shall remember that you were a slave. Take the Sabbath, do this, because you were once a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God has brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He says, man, not only are you imitating me when you take that day off, when you settle into your life and just enjoy, but not only that, you are declaring your freedom that these stuff, this production does not own me. Jesus is inviting us in to rest. It says, Sally Breedlove says, rest is allowing the present to be imperfect. Some of you are like, but I have so much stuff to do. I got so much I need to get done. And, and, and it's like, but what if I can't finish? Well, Sabbath is the liberation. It says that Sabbath liberates you from the need to be finished because it already is finished. Jesus says when he's on the cross, he says, it is finished. Do you know why we're workaholics? Do you know why we're always in hurry and hustle? Because we're trying to secure something. They're, we're asking the existential questions in our, in our heart and our soul. Do I have enough? Am I enough? Am I protected? Do they approve of me? Do they love me? And he says, resting in the Lord is a declaration of your freedom. That you are no longer a slave. You are who God says you are. You see, when you rest, it is a declaration of freedom of your identity in Christ. Church, you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by who Jesus says you are. And so many of us were trying to master time. And when you try to master time, time masters you. Some of you are slaves to your schedule. And Jesus says, no, take the day off. Because when you rest in the Lord, you're saying, I'm not the God over time. I'm not the God over my, my world. This is God's world and he's got me. You see, when you rest, Man, it's a declaration that this is God's world and he's gonna provide and work out everything for my good. You don't have to keep your life together, guys. You don't have to keep producing. God's got you. See, when you rest, you are adjusting your lives to the real storyline. But this is God's world. He's in dominion and in control, which means he's got you under his control. He's got it. There's nothing that surprises him. He's not an ambulance driver driving to your problem. He's already there. He's in the midst of it and he cares. And he just says, man, just rest. I've got you. Jesus then says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because the reality is church, Jesus is the update that your soul longs for. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us today. For up-to-date series information, find us on social media at CityViewPHX or go to cityviewphx.com.